Well, good morning, everyone. Turning your Bibles to Colossians chapter 1. And while you turn to Colossians chapter 1, I want you to think about the words of that song. I should have labeled this sermon, From a Worm to a Precious Child. Those were some of the words in that song. From a worm to a precious child. Just think about that for a minute while you turn the pages. From, you used to be a worm, but now you're a precious child. Wow. Any of you fishermen out there can think about those little worms that you stick on that hook. Pretty worthless to you, except for the fact it might bring you a big uh, fish. But we all were worms, and now we're precious children of the Lord. So the title of this sermon today is, From Separation... To sanctification. Or if you want to use from worm to precious child. It all works. Whatever you want to fill in the blank there. And before I go any further, let's pray. Father, be with me today as I expound your word. Let the focus be on you, Lord. And what you have to say to all of us. Amen. From separation to sanctification. Two big words. When I was a kid, I was confused about sanctification. Those big words those grown-ups use. And if you are kids out here and you don't know what that word means, I think all the Beacon kids probably know, though. You guys are smarter than I was when I was a kid. It means your growth. Your growth. Your growth. Well, in Colossians, Paul wrote this letter to the people at Colossae, a town that's pretty insignificant. It was a big town, but now it's pretty insignificant. It's in a valley surrounded by mountains, a vast valley surrounded by mountains, and a sister city, Laodicea, nearby. So Paul writes this letter in this little mountain area, in this little valley. You see, the situation is that they were dealing with false religion, And we can see, if we turn over to chapter 2, evidence of false religion. Chapter 2, verse 4. I say this so that no one will delude you with persuasive arguments. Persuasive arguments. Verse 8. See to it that no one takes you captive through philosophy an empty deception according to the tradition of men, according to the elementary principles of the world, and not according to Christ. Verse 16, Therefore, no one is to judge you in food and drink or in respect to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath day. Verse 18, Let no one keep defrauding you of your prize by delighting in self-abasement and the worship of angels, going into detail about visions he has seen, being puffed up for nothing in his fleshly mind. Verses 20 through 21, If you have died with Christ to the elementary principles of the world, why, as if you were living in the world, do you submit yourself to decrees? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. Verse 23, which are matters having to be sure, a word of wisdom and self-made religion and self-abasement and severe treatment of the body, but of no value against fleshly indulgence. False religion. Some people think it was Gnosticism they were dealing with. 
paganism, a mixture between those two and Christianity. We don't know for sure what it was, but it surely was false religion. You see, Paul was in prison when he wrote this letter. So here's a man who's in prison, and he cares about the church. He doesn't, he doesn't want them to follow false doctrine. He's been accused of bringing Gentiles into the temple. He's been accused of going against the law. He was jailed and beaten. He was beaten so badly that the Romans had to rescue him from his beating. So here's God sovereignly saving Paul from the Jewish leaders who were beating him by Roman soldiers. And time and time again throughout his whole journey, he was on his way to Rome because he appealed to Caesar as a Roman citizen. And throughout that journey, many times he was saved by Roman soldiers against the Jewish leadership. And he was shipwrecked and he was saved through the shipwreck. He was on the island of Malta and a snake bit him. And he shook the snake off. He was saved so many times. This is a, a picture of God's sovereignty. You see, because when Paul got in prison in Rome, he wrote letters like Colossae. Let's not discount the fact that God is sovereign. And he put Paul in this situation. Let's look at chapter 4, verse 3. And we'll see evidence of his imprisonment. He says, praying at the same time for us as well, that God will open up to us a door for the world, or for the word, I'm sorry, so that we may speak the mystery of Christ for which I have also been bound. And then in verse 7, Tychicus, our brother and faithful servant and fellow slave in the Lord, will make known to you all my affairs. He's having a situation going on here in verse 9. And with him, Omnisimus, our faithful and beloved brother, who is one of you, they will inform you about the whole situation here. Verse 10. Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, sends you his greetings and also Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, about whom you received instructions. If he comes to you, welcome him. And then verse 11. And also Jesus, who is called Justice. These are the only fellow workers for the kingdom of God, who are from the circumcision, and they have proved to be a comfort to me. And then lastly, verse 18. The greeting is in my own hand. Paul, remember my chains. Grace be with you. He's in chains writing this letter. He's concerned about other people. While he's in chains, these people in Colossae, who are dealing with false religion, and so the sermon today will follow three different points. Separation, salvation, and sanctification. S separation, salvation, and sanctification. You'll see separation in verse 21. And then in verse 22, we'll see salvation in the present. And then in verse, or 22, I'm sorry. And then in verse 23, you'll see the future sanctification. So we have a past present and a future, separation, salvation, and sanctification. I hope for you all today that after this sermon, you get one thing out of this, that you will love Christ more, that you will love Christ more. 
I challenge you not to love him more after this. Not because of me, but because of what we read and what we understand through God's word. So, I say that you will love Christ more. Love Christ more. Let's go to verse 21 through 23, and I'll read it. And although, I'll start back at uh, 20, and this is talking about Christ. We'll start at verse 20. And through him, that's Christ, to reconcile all things to himself, having made peace through the blood of his cross, through him, whether things on earth or things in heaven. And although you were formerly alienated and enemies in mind and in evil deeds, but now he reconciled you in the body of his flesh through death in order to present you before him holy and blameless and beyond reproach, if indeed you continue in the faith firmly grounded and steadfast and not moved away from the hope of the gospel which you have heard which was proclaimed in all creation and under heaven, and of which I, Paul, was made a minister. And Paul starts this section out, he's building on something he just spoke about. He just talked about the excellencies of Christ in verse 15 through 20. In 15 through 20, you see that Christ in verse 15 is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of creation. 16, in him all things were created in the heavens and the earth, the visible and invisible, thrones, dominions, rulers, authority, everything. He's before all things. All things hold together by him. He's the head of the church. He's the beginning, everything. He just got done explaining the excellencies of Christ. And then he says, but you, you, in verse 21, but you, you, he's talking to the people in Colossae, but I want you to put yourself there, but you, because they're believers. These are believers. So he says, but you, you believers were formerly, you were formerly something. You used to be something. What did you used to be? You were alienated, he says. You were alienated. Alienated. What does that mean? They're shut out. They're banned. No hope. They're out of the group. Alienated. You're out of the group. You're banned. Shut out. You used to be shut out. How were they shut out? Because they were enemies. And they were hostile in their minds and their evil deeds. Enemies of who, you say? Hostile to who? To God. Enemies, hostile. For what they thought in their mind and what they did in their evil deeds. Let's turn to Ephesians 2 and let's see what Paul says about being aliens and being shut out. He gives us a great example in Ephesians chapter 2, starting at verse 12. And just think about this while you're turning. Think about being alienated, shut out, banned, a non-participant. Ephesians 2, verse 12. 
Paul says this, the same author. Remember, he says, that you were, were at that time without Christ. Alienated from the citizenship of Israel. He's talking to non-believers at one time. And strangers to the covenants of promise. And look at this, having no hope and without God in the world. No hope. Shut out. Ban. A non-participant. Alienated. He says, you, Colossae's people, you were shut out. Alienated. You're not included. This is a big deal. It's a very clear line of those who will be in the kingdom and those who will not. He says, you were alienated. Now flip over to Ephesians 4. Paul gives us more information. Down at verse 17 of Ephesians 4. Paul says, therefore, this I say and testify in the Lord. That you walk no longer as the Gentiles also walk in the futility of their mind. He's saying, don't be like the non-believers, being darkened in their mind, alienated from the life of God. Why, you say, why? Because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the hardness of their hearts. Alienated, shut out, banned. And they, having become callous, have given themselves over to sensuality for the practice of every kind of impurity with greediness. Every kind of impurity. Shut out. Banned. A non-participant in the kingdom. You have no relationship with God. You're banned. But he says, but you did not learn Christ in this way. He says, you used to be that way. But guess what? You learned Christ. Let's go back to Colossians. You say, how does someone get in that position? Well, like I said before, they were enemies and hostile in mind and in evil deeds. But what led to that? Well, let's first separate the mind and the deeds. The mind. They had an inward, inward hatred of God. No one seeks after God, not even one. Not even one. An inward hatred of God. This inward hatred leads to an outer rebellion. Rebellious people are rebellious on the inside. You can't change their behavior without them being changed by the Lord Jesus Christ. Behavior modification, behavior counseling, behavior this, stop doing drugs, stop doing booze, stop doing that, doesn't work. They have an inward hatred of God. The inward part must change first before the outward changes. Christ gives us an explanation of these enemies and those who are alienated, who have an inward and outward hatred of God in Matthew 7. Let's turn there. Matthew 7. Let's read Christ's words. As he speaks of people who are inwardly hating God and outwardly 
against him. Matthew seven fifteen. The Lord Jesus Christ says, Beware of the false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravenous wolves. You will know them by their fruits or their actions. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? The answer is, Even so, every good tree bears good fruit. But the bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a bad tree bear bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. So then, you will know them by their what? Fruits. Inwardly hating God. Their outward reaction proves it. And Paul is warning those in Colossae. He's warning them. He's saying, remember your old self. Remember your old self. It's good to remember. Paul also gives an explanation of the mind set on hating God. In Romans 8, let's go there. Romans chapter 8. And in Romans 8, starting at verse 6, Paul's going to give his explanation of the mind set on hating God. Verse 6. For the mind set on the flesh is death. But the mind set on the spirit is life and peace. Because the mind set on the flesh is hostile toward God. The mind set on the flesh is hostile towards God. Enemies. For it does not subject itself to the law of God. For it is not even able to do so. Outward behavior change doesn't work. And those who are in the flesh are not able to please God. You're not even able to. Forget about it. You can't just change outward behavior. Doing good deeds does nothing. So Paul talks about their past. He says, that's what you used to be. Now, if Paul was talking to you right now, saying that's what you used to be, which I'm saying that, And I'm also pointing the finger at me. We all used to be that. We all hated God at one point in time. Because we're all born in sin. And our outward actions proved it. In some form or another. You can't point point fingers to people in jail and say, those people. I don't care if you've never been to jail. You never did anything wrong, you think. You're just the same. That was you. He says, but you, because these are saved people he's talking to. You were hostile. You were enemies of God. Remember that. Because if you remember that, what's coming up soon is going to be absolutely tasty. The good news becomes something that absolutely tastes like the best steak or the best dessert you've ever had. 
when you realize what you were. Now let's go to verse 22 of Colossians. Let's go back there. And this is the second point. Salvation. Salvation. Now, although the cross happened before us, he's talking about their present status. They are saved. Verse 22. He says, but now. In their present status, they were unsaved, but now. He reconciled you in the body of his flesh through death in order to present you before him holy and blameless and beyond reproach. Whoa, this is sounding better. Get rid of that humdrum sermon you're preaching. Now we're getting somewhere. Come on, Greg. He says, but now, but now. He has reconciled you. Reconciled. What does that mean? <laughs> He's making your relationship better. What relationship? Your relationship with God. He's reconciled you. Reconciliation has this as an idea. It has the idea of making a relationship better between two parties, one of which really needs the help. In this situation, we're the ones who need the help. You can also see it as God is reconciled to you also. Because God can't stand sin. You get a lawyer in the courtroom, you got a judge. you got to have reconciliation between two parties who are at enmity with each other. Well, you were enemies of God. Now just think about that for a minute. The God that made the heavens and the earth. The almighty God. You were his enemy. Whoa. But guess what? That same mighty God reconciled you. He's on our side. (gasps) Is that good news? You bet it is. He reconciled you. He made your relationship better with the Father. He showed favor to you. He showed favor to you. He brought you back to the Father as mankind. When did that start? At the fall. That's when we showed enmity to God at the fall with Adam and Eve in the garden. We were at enmity with God. And there was a plan for reconciliation in Genesis chapter 3 when he said he will crush your head. When Christ, the seed of the woman, will crush the seed of the serpent. He began the reconciliation. Isn't that beautiful? He reconciled you. Now, you notice he didn't say you got smarter. You learned. You found Christ. You notice he doesn't say that. He says, he reconciled you. How did he do it? This is beautiful, guys. He did it in the body of his flesh through death. Woo! The big D word, death. 
If you had a loved one die, you know what death is. Think about that. Don't be cheesy right now and look over this word. Say, oh yeah, he did it through death. Christ died on the cross. We got communion today. This is going to be cute. Death. The reason we're taking communion is because someone's blood was shed. Death. Christ did this through his death. We see evidence of this in the Old Testament. Starting with Adam and Eve. They sin. They got a little leaf from the garden or somewhere and covered themselves. God provided what? A a skin of an animal. The first sacrificial death. Cain and Abel brought sacrifices to the Lord. Abel's was accepted because he had faith. So we see sacrifices throughout the Old Testament. Going on to Abraham. He provides a sacrifice through his son, Isaac. Just before he plunged, who provided the sacrifice? God did. A substitutionary sacrifice. Imagine you were Abraham and you were just about to plunge that dagger into your son's chest. And then God says, whoa, stop. There's a lamb. You'd be jumping for joy. That's what we should be doing today, jumping for joy. There's a lamb. Let's turn to Isaiah 53. Let's read about the lamb. When we read this, think of the price that was paid. Isaiah 53, think of the price that was paid for you to be reconciled back to God. Isaiah 53, 4 through 7. Surely our griefs he himself bore and our sorrows he carried. Yet we ourselves esteemed him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted. But he was pierced through for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The chastening for our peace fell on him. And by his wounds we were healed. All of us like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. But Yahweh has caused the iniquity of us all to fall on him. He was oppressed and he was afflicted. Yet he did not open his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to slaughter. To slaughter. And like a sheep that is silent before his shears. So he did not open his mouth. He voluntarily allowed himself to be slaughtered. The lamb that was slain. Well, Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 5, 7 that Christ is the Passover lamb. We think of the Passover when uh, Israel left Egypt. They were in bondage and slavery in Egypt for some 400 some years. Christ rescued them. This sacrificial lamb represents the rescue from bondage. Today, Christ, he, he reconciled you and rescued you from bondage. And me and every believer from bondage to sin. But there had to be a lamb slain 
This is how he did it through the body of his flesh, through death. All those other lambs in the Old Testament that we just talked about were symbolic of Christ's death on the cross. There's other sacrifices um, in the Bible. We're not going to go over all those. We'd be here all day. But just think about all those dead sheep. You ever think about that for a minute? How many sheep they had to slaughter? The blood just must have been running. What is God showing there? Blood has to be shed for your sins. And not only blood, but a violent death had to happen. Remember, I said, I want you to love Christ more by the end of this. Then he says, let's go back to Colossians. We're still in verse 22. That's how he did it. Through the body of his flesh, through death. What's the purpose? The purpose is in order to present you before him holy and blameless and beyond reproach. Beautiful. To present you in a beautiful way. Because you were ugly, a worm. Paul says, wretched man that I am. And he follows up with, thanks be to Christ Jesus. These are beautiful words to present you. Just to present you in the first place is a big deal. In presentation of Christ, Christ is presenting you is a big deal. That's the purpose of the reconciliation, is for Christ to present you. Holy, he says. That means separated from sin. Separated from sin. Blameless, spotless, like a lamb. Beyond reproach, no accusations. Why? Because the debt was paid. (laughs) There's no accusations. The debt was paid. You're not guilty anymore. Wow. He's going to present you that way. Imagine you're locked up. You're going for life in prison. And he says, no. Take the chains off. You're brand new. Beyond reproach. Romans 6. Don't get lazy on me now. Romans 6. Come on, let's go. Romans 6. This is the word, right? Romans 6.20. Listen at this process here. 6.20 through 23. Paul says... For when you were slaves of sin, were, there's that were word again, or used to be whatever. When you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. Therefore, what benefit were you then having from the things of which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. But now having been freed from sin and enslaved to God. Remember that. Because once you were freed from sin, now you're enslaved to God. Because Jesus is Lord. You have your benefit leading to sanctification. And in the end, eternal life. Whoa. So first, I have to be enslaved to God. 
and then I get sanctification, and then eternal life? Yes. Yes. Because Christ is Lord. He's your master. And that transitions to verse 23. Your future sanctification. Your future sanctification back in Colossians. If indeed you continue in the faith firmly grounded and steadfast. This if could be the word sense. It has the, the, the meaning of sense or it's, it's going to happen for sure. It's not a condition like, hey, maybe if you do this, you'll get this. Because you're not saved by works. So if indeed you continue in the faith, and they will continue in the faith, how do we know? Look at Colossians 1, 3. Paul says, we give thanks to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you, since, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love which you have for all the saints, because of the hope laid up for you in heaven, which you previously heard in the word of truth, the gospel. He says, I heard of your faith. They're already believers. So it's not that they have to do something to earn their way. They're already enslaved to God. How do we know? Because their mind and their deeds reflect their salvation. In chapter 3 of Colossians, turn there, chapter 3, one page over. In verse 1 through 5. Now listen at the words here. He says, therefore, if you have been raised up with Christ, there it is again. They are raised up with Christ because they're believers. He doesn't mean really, hey, if you are, then you might do this. He's saying, yes, you are. Since you are. Since you are raised up with Christ, keep seeking the things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. What are those things? Set your, what? Mind on the things above not on the things on earth. For you died, and your life has been hidden with Christ and God. It's already happened. Already happened in verse 5. Therefore, consider the members of your earthly body as dead. Dead to what? Sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, greed, which is idolatry. A non-believer can't do that. He says, set your mind on the things above. Because if your mind is set on the things above, your actions will follow. And you'll be able to avoid doing those things. This is sanctification. First, the mind, then the actions. Not just the actions. That's not sanctification. In Romans 8, 26 through 30, it says, Those whom he foreknew, he predestined. Those who he predestined, he called. Those who he called, he justified. Those who he justified, he glorified. That glorification is that presentation that Christ is going to do for you. When he says, present it to you. He has a plan, foreknowledge, a predestination, called, justified, not guilty. And in the end, glorification, presentation. Christ will present you. How, you say, through the work of the Spirit. 
Your sanctification is through the work of the Spirit who enables you to do these things. That's how. And you rely on the Spirit. You pray. You read the word that the Spirit has written. The Spirit is in you like a magnet drawing you to the very word that the Spirit wrote. And you grow when you read. And then he gives a description back to Colossians 1, verse 23. He gives a description. He says, if you continue in the faith, and he gives a description of this continuance. And he says, firmly grounded, steadfast, not moved away from the hope of the gospel. Firmly grounded, steadfast, not moved away. Having a firm foundation that's firmly grounded. Steadfast means it would be like if you sat down on firm ground, on concrete here. It's not moving. You sit down, you're even more stable. You're steadfast. You're immovable. And then he says, not moved away from the hope of the gospel. So, the hope of the gospel. What does the gospel tell you that gives you hope? What does the gospel tell you that gives you hope? Well, we know that the gospel tells you you'll have eternal life. We know that the gospel tells you that you'll receive the Lord Jesus Christ and you'll be new. You'll have a new heart. As if that's not enough. There's hope in your future. There's hope right now in this dark world that's going on right now. When you watch the news, I feel bad for people that aren't Christians. Because what would you have to look forward to? We have hope. And we read about that hope in the gospel. And the gospel was preached to us at one time. To the people in Colossae, it was preached to them from Epaphras, it says in chapter 1. Paul preaches the gospel. We know that the hope of the gospel leads to faith. We hear the gospel. When we hear the gospel, it leads to faith. And he says, if you continue in the faith, if you continue in the faith, which they heard in the gospel. Hebrews 11.1 says, faith is the assurance of things hoped for. The assurance of things hoped for. That's what faith is. The conviction of things not seen. So we have from Epaphras, the one who gave them the gospel, to them hearing the gospel, to them having hope in that very gospel and exercising their faith. You see, this is the key to sanctification. This is what keeps you going every day. And then lastly, he says about this gospel, he says, what you have heard, which was proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, was made a minister. This is the genuine, real gospel. Remember all those verses we talked about, the false religion? He's saying this one is the real one, the one that's proclaimed everywhere. This gospel is the real one. It's in Jerusalem. It's everywhere. This is the real deal that all the other apostles are teaching. This is the real gospel. That's what he's talking about here. Following the true faith through the word, the real gospel. It was proclaimed by other apostles. 
And it also was proclaimed by Paul, it says. Also proclaimed by Paul, in which he was a minister. And then I want to leave off with Galatians chapter 1. Let's go to Galatians. And I want you to see that there's a real gospel and a fake gospel. Don't fall into the trap. Future sanctification is following the real gospel. Galatians chapter 1, verse 6. Paul says, I marvel, I marvel that you're so quickly deserting him who called you by the grace of Christ for a different gospel. I marvel that you did that which is really not another. Only there are some who are disturbing you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should proclaim to you a gospel contrary to the gospel we have proclaimed to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so I say again now, if any man is proclaiming to you a gospel contrary to what you have received, let him be accursed. For am I now seeking the favor of men or of God? Or am I striving to please men? If I were still trying to please men, I would not be a slave of Christ. You see, we've been separated from God. We were enemies with God. But God reconciled us through the death and the blood of his cross. And he's also given us the gift of the Holy Spirit. So we don't have to wait for eternity to feel blessed. We are blessed now. We have the gift of the Spirit that enables us to do things that are way beyond what we could imagine. All the good deeds that are out there for you to do, that we should walk in them, Ephesians 2 says. Walk in them. I encourage you to do so. And love Christ. Love him more. And with this, let's pray. Father, we can't imagine what it was like to be in the Garden of Gethsemane when Christ prayed. The anguish was taken on the sin of the world when he was not guilty. And Lord, we celebrate Easter and Christmas like it's no big deal. But you, Lord, you love us regardless, regardless of our sin. What worms we are, or we were, what children we are. In Christ's name, amen.